2: welcome to stoppage time. It's a Wednesday. We're coming off of a win for Atlanta United. We're getting ready for a very difficult trip to the Pacific Northwest to face the best team in the league in the Seattle Sounders. Lots to get into Mike.
3: Action at the fraction tonight. Got news going on around the league and around the world. Uh, So yeah, let's get into it and uh, send us your questions and Your comments at the bottom of your screen. Sorry, we're starting a few minutes late today. Uh, Nate McMillan had a press conference run a little long that I had to be on, but uh, it's still going. So hopefully he's not saying anything that I need to know until after this is done. But if he does, go ahead and put it in the comments (laughs) and uh, I can at least react to it. Now, exciting times in Atlanta. Um, Hawks and Atlanta United are going to both play on Sunday. That likely means that the radio broadcast of Atlanta United is going to be on Star. We're just waiting for the league to confirm uh, the tip-off time for the Hawks. If the Hawks are playing in the seven thirty game on Sunday, then Jason and I will be on ninety two nine. Uh, if they're playing at three thirty or five, we're going to be on Star. So um, just make a mental note of that. We'll we'll tweet it out and put out uh, the information as soon as we possibly can. It's uh, Been very, very frustrating dealing with the NBA on all of that. They just are not telling us anything, I think, because they're waiting to see what's going to happen to the Lakers. But it doesn't change the fact that Atlanta United, they have a tough game on on Sunday. Uh, But, you know, I thought Emerson Hyndman and Santiago Sosa both said something kind of interesting today. That there are a lot of similarities in the way that Seattle is going to play compared to the way that Montreal played. Uh, and and in some ways it's related to formation, in some ways it's related to tactics, but I did think that was an interesting observation. Uh, Seattle, like Montreal, they're going to play two up top, so from a formation standpoint, there are going to be some similarities there, mm-hmm. but that's where I guess I hope that Atlanta United experiencing what they had to experience on Saturday could be of some benefit going into this Really, really difficult match coming up this Sunday because um, things have come rather easily for Seattle this year. Things have not come easily at all for Atlanta United. And maybe the fact, hopefully, I'm looking for silver linings here, hopefully that they're battle-hardened and tested might help them out a little bit more than, say, what LAFC had in their back pocket going into Seattle this past weekend, or what San Jose has had to deal with going into a Seattle match, or LA Galaxy, so on and so forth. Uh, I think there's more parity right now in the Eastern Conference than the Western Conference, and Eastern Conference teams are going to be a little more battle hardened when they get into these uh, rare but existent interconference matchups as Atlanta United's going into this weekend.
2: Yeah, it's a good game. It's a big game. It's a good test. You know, it's it's early in the season. I think this is a good measuring stick for where you are right now. And what I hope and what I'm afraid, to be honest, with some of the reactions we've seen to things during the season is that there will be an overreaction either way. If Atlanta mm-hmm. goes to Seattle and catches them on a day, they've won four in a row, they have not lost this season in six they have a bad day, Atlanta scores two goals, wins 2-1, let's say. That doesn't mean Atlanta is a lock for MLS Cup. If Atlanta goes and loses 2-0 or 3-0 or whatever, that doesn't mean pack it all in, forget it. It is a measuring stick of where you are right now. And as we've talked about from day one since Gabriel Heinze was hired, this is going to be a process. And it's good you get a game like this now, in my opinion because it's an opportunity to see where you are against the best. Seattle is the best team in the league in 2021. I didn't expect to be saying that at this point. Uh, They've really surprised me and a lot of folks with how well they've handled the loss of Jordan Morris, how well they've changed formation, how well they're handling the absence of Nico Ladero, And it looks like he will be out until after the international break as he still has knee inflammation. And they've, you know, changed things up. Now they're dealing with, with Stefan Fry being out for a few weeks. Handling that just fine. Stefan Cleveland steps in. They're playing a, a 3-5-2 that plays a lot more like a 5-3-2 in the way that they do it. They're very good on the counter. That'll be the biggest difference with Montreal and Seattle in terms of the way they approached it. Montreal came in with two wingers out wide who were not as comfortable dropping deep to defend, but had to as the day went on a- against Atlanta. Seattle will play two outside backs as wingbacks who are comfortable defending but can get forward and cause you problems on the break. That'll be the biggest difference. But this is a very good Seattle team, and if they get the win, well, they're the favorite. They're at home. They should win. If Atlanta goes out there and gets a result, I think it's a big statement, but you can't take everything out of that either. This is still really early in the 2021 season. It's a good measuring stick, but it doesn't define anything yet.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. I I think if Atlanta United goes out there and executes and does the things that they intend to do, um, the scoreline might be kind of secondary to the way that Atlanta United plays, how we feel about them playing. Kind of reminds me of going out to L.A. in 2019 and Atlanta United didn't win the match against LAFC, but I think we walked away from that match feeling pretty good about Atlanta United accomplishing what they intended to accomplish. They got a little bit hard done by a very questionable penalty, uh, and then they they kind of unraveled a little bit emotionally in the wake of that, and in a blink of an eye, they're down 4-1, but they still got it back to 4-3, and you felt like, okay, that was actually a, a really good springboard to finishing off the Open Cup run, and winning the Capiones Cup, both things they accomplished in August right after that match was played. So that's absolutely very, very, very possible. That Atlanta United could go out there, they might not get a result that could be seen as satisfactory, but if they go out there and they compete and execute for 90 minutes, I'll I'll, I'll take that. I don't know if that's going to happen. I, Seattle is a hard team for me to figure out. Um, and and keep sending your questions. We're we're going to get to all of this. We're going to talk about Montreal. We'll talk about anything you want. Go ahead and send us your questions. Uh, but just while we're on this topic, I don't know how Seattle's pulling this off with the lack of depth that they have. They have. I, I went back and looked in Opta. They have not had a full match day team sheet in any of these six matches this year. Yep. They have two vacant spots on their team sheet this past Sunday that they aren't just not deep. They're like frighteningly not deep right now. And they're pulling it off. They're pulling it off, which is amazing. I think it's a Testament to both of the Roldan brothers. I think it's a Testament to Ariaga who I'm a big, big fan of. I think Rui Diaz is one of the five best players in this league, but I don't think he gets mentioned in that conversation enough. I think Rui Diaz is phenomenal. So they're top-heavy, but it is really almost surprising to me how they're this good being this thin. And you do wonder if that could catch up with them at any point. If this match were being played in Atlanta... I would probably have a much different feeling about this match than with it being played in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you had Seattle coming into Atlanta into the same kind of atmosphere that we saw on Saturday night, forget 70,000, let's just get a full 45,000. If you get Seattle coming into that atmosphere, I think the match and the expectation going into it changes dramatically. So I do think there are opportunities here for Atlanta United to get something positive out of this match But looking at it pragmatically, I'm of the opinion if Atlanta United can get three or more points out of the next two, this one and then Nashville going into the three-week break, you are going to have some players called up for international duty. But if you can get into the three-week break, no Open Cup, no competitions in between, with three more points, I mean you're going to be mid to upper table. You're going to have your toughest match of the entire season on your fixture sheet in the rearview mirror. And I think you're going to be in good shape. Pragmatically, that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, can they get six out of these? Yes. Yeah. Can they get zero out of these? Yes. Yeah. And they could um, play well and get zero. They, they absolutely could. Or they could play well and get one. Nashville hasn't conceded in almost 400 minutes. That's next week, and we'll talk about that yeah. next week. Yeah. Um, so I again, I want to it, it, it's gotten to the point now for me where. I just want to see these guys play well for 90 minutes. I think they played well for long stretches on Saturday. And I thought they were the better team in the key moment. Uh, Did they play well for 90 minutes? It was a tough match. It was a very, very even match. Statistically, extremely even match. But I know there are people out there who will point to stretches and say they did not play well. might be hard for me to rebut that in some cases. I want to see them play well for 90 minutes. I want to see the first 45 minutes of the home leg against Philadelphia for a full 90. And that might be asking a lot because of fitness and everything else, but I think that's what we're kind of climbing towards. That's what we all want to see. And they could play that well in Seattle and still not win. But if they play well and cover themselves in glory, I'll feel a lot better about it. Yeah, I hate that we're in
2: in this kind of, phase here because the results are actually pretty good. And, and it's great. almost like we have to, to talk in this way and, and, and it shouldn't be the conversation. This is a team that's building right now and you're not going to play your best for 90 minutes at the moment. Uh, not many teams in the world play their best for 90 minutes on a regular basis. That, that's just a fact. You play a good opponent, they're going to make it difficult for you. Montreal made it difficult for you at times. I thought Atlanta deserved at a minimum the point, and I thought they deserved the three points. I thought as the night went on, Atlanta was the better team, the more proactive team. They had more of the game, and they ended up getting what I felt like they deserved. Um, that's, but that's the, that's soccer. you know. I mean, They could be in that situation in Seattle and be the more proactive team, which I think they will be, be the team that, that tries to control the game and take the game to the opposition more in the run of play. I think they will be. And they could do that and lose because you get beat on a break, you hit a post a couple times, you have a couple big saves against you, and you lose. That is soccer. And that happens to great teams, let alone a team that is still early days with a new manager. So there needs to be some realism about the process here because it's no different than year one under Tata Martino. It's no different under year one under Frank DeBoer. It's no different than it was year one at Manchester City for Pep Guardiola. I think it worked out pretty good for him. You know, there's no difference in year one for Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. Like, Mm -hmm. year one, six games into your regular season in league play, and yeah, you've got some cup, cup, cup games as well, but this is game six. It's a process. You're nowhere near the finished product. So... It is a measuring stick because you're playing the best team in the league on national TV in their house. But it doesn't define anything about the following week, the following month, the rest of the season. It is another opportunity to try to play your best for as long as you possibly can and win the moments that decide the match. That is your goal here. That is your goal, to go to Seattle and win the match. Gabriel Heinze isn't going to go in and say, man, these guys are really good. I'm going to have to sit back and just hope I get a point. No. That's not how he's going to approach this. He's going to go, and they're going to play their game. And they'll be able to measure how their game stacks up against a good team that is comfortable defending, that is great on the counter, and has two players in great, great form, in Raul Ruiz Diaz and Christian Roldan. So you'll be able to decide that after the game, come back, look at what mistakes were made, look at what you can improve upon, and move forward. These are the games that make you better. These are not the games to freak out about and, and feel like you need to you know, sit in the rocking chair on the front porch and try not to freak out. You know? This is a, a game to go and find out who you are right now. Yeah. And I think it's a good team, and we'll see if they are a team that is capable of elevating their game in the biggest moments. Because these are the bright lights. This is the big stage. And let's see how they handle it.
3: Well they handled the biggest moment on Saturday. The, the best they possibly could. And that's why they got three points. And not one against Montreal. Uh, and you know. A couple takeaways from that match for me. Again like I said. Very evenly played match. I think Montreal's for real. I really do. Yeah. I, I I doubted Montreal. Uh, I kind of scoffed at their opening week result a little bit. I, I just did not think Montreal was going to be that good this year. I was wrong. They're good. George Mihailovic is a really, really good addition for them. Uh, Bjorn Janssen, really, really good center forward for them.
2: Inconsistent, uh, but yeah. I, I like what he can be, but he's he's a little too inconsistent. And that's going to be the biggest challenge for them. Because they've got talent. I think,
3: yeah. I, I guess what I mean more is uh Janssen can potentially be really good as someone who's six, five. Uh, he can create matchup difficulty.
2: Yeah. That's um, been the conundrum with him is you look at him and you see size, you see his technical ability and you expect, Oh wow. If he can put all that yeah. together, what can he be? And, and it's just been, you know, kind of back and forth for him. He's a, a player who can be a game changer for them. And, Where I'll give Montreal a ton of credit is they were able to build a team that is in a large way built to players that other teams decided to move on from. Mihailovic, great addition. Bjorn Janssen as well, a a player that people thought, okay, he's not going to be the guy we thought he was. He comes to Montreal, gets a couple goals in the midweek against Miami and looks like a million bucks. Not as good against Atlanta, but you're also playing a short rest. That back line, especially, that's my biggest oh, shock about Montreal. Camacho. Camacho's Camacho been there a while, so and he's good, and he's always been underrated. But to add Kamal Miller and Kiki Struna and be able to play that 3-5-2 the way they do, you, know, you went out and got Miller from Austin. They picked him up in the expansion draft. All right, maybe Orlando wanted to keep him, just couldn't. Kamal Miller's a young up-and-coming center back on the Canadian national team. Great get for Montreal. But going out and getting Kiki Struna, who, you know, people didn't really know what to make of his time in Houston. And they added him, and that makes that group work because Camacho can sit at home. Miller can go because he can play left back in a line of four. Struna can get forward and cause problems. He's technical for his size. When they got forward, that was when I thought Montreal looked their best, was when Struna came forward and caused problems and Miller came forward and caused problems. They're going to be a team that can beat good teams. You know, Wilfred Nancy's doing an amazing job with Montreal team. Nobody rated. They're going to be in the mix in the East. You know, how long can they stay? A lot of it depends on the depth. If they stay healthy, all those kinds of things, if Johnson can continue to develop, but they've got the ability to be in the mix in the East.
3: They do. Uh, That was one of my big takeaways from that match. But I think the biggest takeaway was that Atlantic United was able to push through some things, uh, Probably most significantly, the physical exhaustion to be better in that final moment when they needed to be. Uh, and, and, you know, Nick Toole has a, a comment here about mental toughness. Mm-hmm. He, he says he thinks the Montreal result shows that the team is mentally tougher than last year and how far the team has already come in learning Heinze system. He says it was a, a similar feeling. To after the Chicago match, just with even more people in the stadium mm-hmm. this time. I agree. I think they showed a ton of mental toughness. I was calling for on the radio broadcast. You can go back and listen. I was calling for George Bellow to be taken out of the game. I thought he was completely done. Uh, and yet in that final moment, let's talk about the build-up to the goal. It starts with Brad Guzan. Well, it starts with the Miles Robinson block. Brad comes off his line to come, you know, basically dive over the ball and then immediately starts the counter up to George Bello. Bello somehow with the gas tank completely empty and the the dipstick not registering any oil. I mean, I thought George was just completely done. Still is able to beat Struna and then advance it to Mulraney. And then I thought once Mulraney had it, the goal was coming because Mulraney is running on fresh legs against a tired center back, cross, Moreno, goal. Um... That's Atlanta United stepping up in the moment. And what's amazing is, I had Johannes look this up, that's only the second stoppage time winner ever in club history. Mm-hmm. Ever. The first one was in San Jose in 2018. Yep. Uh, the Pitti Martinez goal against D.C. last year, I thought, were two years yeah, ago, I thought it was though. in stoppage. It was actually in the 89th minute. Yep. Uh, Hindman had a, a winner against San Jose in 2019 in the 90th minute. Uh, So, this is only the second time in five years where Atlanta United has been able to find a stoppage time winner. And it's actually the first time it's ever happened at home, if you can believe that. Mm -hmm. So, you saw some players who I thought had fantastic matches. Guzan, I thought was terrific and would have been man of the match if it ended as a scoreless draw. And Moreno have really, really key roles in winning that moment. And in such an evenly played match, it's going to come down to one or two moments. And Atlanta United won it, won the match, because they were better in that moment.
2: I was raving about George Bellows' play in that sequence uh, immediately when it happened. Um, He was tired. He was recovering okay. He'd had some sequences where it felt like, man, he's having to sprint this way and then sprint that way and then sprint this way, and then the ref keeps his flag down on an obvious offside, (laughs) and he has to sprint 60 yards back, and I about lose my mind because you're you're burning him out. And he kept recovering, and that's a credit to all the fitness work this team's done. This is where playing all these games early on helps a little bit in that these guys have had that work that they've had to do, and they're able to bounce back. The recovery time is really short. So... Bello receives that at midfield. It's very easy to play that safe, not try to push it in that moment. Uh, Play square, play back because you're under pressure. He decides to go for it in that moment, is able to beat Struno with a risky touch, but a brilliant touch. And it didn't stop there for Bello. And I think this is where he gets a ton of credit is he continued his run. You know, Mulraney ends up drifting wide rather than going to goal. So Bello makes the run underneath him, which gives Mulraney just a little bit more space to get his head up and pick out a pass. And then Marcelino Moreno, not just for the goal, because we, we know he was hurting at that point. He was cramping up. He needed that moment because he's been under, I think, some unfair fire, but he's been under fire for you know showing up in the big moments he did. And then he showed up again, and it's barely been talked about I was again yelling about this on the broadcast late because there was still a little bit of time left. Montreal advanced into the 18 and Marcelino Moreno made a tackle inside the 18 defensively after he was already cramping up when he scored a goal. That was a key play because if he doesn't make the tackle, Montreal could have created an opportunity. If he gets the tackle wrong, he could have given up a penalty. Marcelino Moreno was immense
3: in stoppage time, both scoring and defending huge and he needed that i feel um i think he's played great i, I don't think he needed that to you know validate anything i think no, just I think from an, an emotional well. standpoint um it's he, good to get the reward he when hears he put this in stuff. all the hard work
2: everybody hears this stuff i mean you you're a pro athlete and you try to put blinders on and not pay attention to these things but it gets heard. It gets heard. You you can read between the lines and comments that are made. It gets heard. He wanted that for his first opportunity in a full house in the city. You know, he, he wanted that moment. He puts a lot of pressure on himself. He works extremely hard and a lot of times without payoff because of his role. I'm glad he got that payoff, and, and I hope it's a boost for him. Uh, he's got the ability to be a player that can put a team on his back. I don't think he's ever really been in that position in his career. At Lanus, he was never the focal point. Here, you know, he hasn't been exactly the focal point. He can step up in those moments, and I hope this gives him the confidence to continue to do so.
3: Me too. Me too. Absolutely. I, and we talked about this on SDH today. I think there's going to be... Um, it's going to be interesting when Barco comes back. Because I think Barco has looked good centrally. I think Moreno has looked good centrally. Carlos talked about how Moreno has been really good playing centrally. I mentioned that yesterday on the interview with Dukes and Bell. If you want to go back and listen to it, it's available at Off the Woodwork, as Stop It Shine will be when we're done. Thank you, Knox. Um, So if you want to go back and listen to the whole thing, you can uh, get that on Off the Woodwork. But um, I know you said it'll probably end up being fluid. You know, and that both yeah. of them will will kind of play centrally, play out wide. Um, but it is interesting. I, I was worried when Barco went down because I thought Barco was really giving Atlanta United a lot of good stuff centrally. Moreno has come in and I think has ensured that the drop-off has been very minimal, if at all, uh, which is really, really, really important. The other thing that really stood out to me, Jason – um, and it didn't produce a goal, but I think it produced some near goals on Saturday, was that the service to Joseph Martinez has been much better yep. over the last two matches. And if you look at his touch map from Saturday, I think he had five touches inside the 18, uh, the, the Montreal 18. He had a touch inside the Atlanta 18 too, but that was clearing a corner kick. Um, the service was much, much better. Joseph put a header over the crossbar, and I think the seventh or eighth minute of the match, um, you know, he's close. He had um, a sliding shot on a net scramble at the very end of the match that was also very close. He had another mm-hmm. opportunity before that. It feels like the service is getting better for Joseph, and I also get the sense Joseph's body language. I know this is something you you talked about with Andy and Randy today on, on 92.9 The Game. The body language feels more normal yeah. now. Like Joseph is uh, less happy about missing chances than he was maybe a week or two ago. He's expecting. Uh, he's to never convert. happy about it, but like you can see, it's the normal Joseph body language again. Yeah, he's expecting to convert, and and I
2: think we're we're seeing that ten accurate crosses uh, in this match um, out of twenty seven. I think if I can do quick math as I look at the stats. That's pretty good. Brooks Lennon was 6 of 10 crossing from the right side. That's really good. Um, It will continue to to come. Lane United will continue to grow in in those moments. I do want to talk about Moreno a little bit because – I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. I, I think this idea about central and wing and it's one or the other but not both the way this team plays, and especially when they play in the manner that they did against Montreal, and I expect the manner they'll play against Seattle, where it is more of a three four three, it's even more fluid. I mean, when when you go through that lineup and it's Alan Franco, Miles Robinson, Santi Sosa as your three center backs, Bello as a wing back, Lennon as a wing back, Heinemann and Ibarra as central midfielders, kind of by default, Moreno is a winger and Eric Lopez mm-hmm. is a winger. We saw in this match specifically they tucked in a lot more, and it freed up space for other people to overlap, for Bello to have more of the wing than before. You know you're going to have Lennon wide as much as possible because they want to put crosses in through Brooks Lennon because he's really good on them. So you're going to try to create those opportunities for Lennon. I'd love to see Bello put in more crosses. I think his crossing is very good. But Moreno, even when he's the winger in a 3-4-3 or a 4-3-3, he's going to come inside and play. And that's, I think the biggest idea about this is, oh, well, he can't play on the wing. Well, he's not always standing on the wing. Even when he's playing centrally, he's going to drift out there to find space. We see Barco do the same thing because if you're going to stand in one place and the other team is going to key on you and defend you, you're kind of wasting your time. You have to move. You have to go find space. And sometimes that space is going to be further away, out wide where you've got to make something happen from there, look for the combination to bring you back in. So he'll play centrally and wide in the same match, no matter what his position is. He's going to play all over that side of the field. And when you take a look at his heat map from the weekend, he's on the flank a lot, but he's also coming inside a lot. That's just how he's going to play that position. Whereas, you know, I think the biggest element to that side working better is Bellow continuing his improvement in recognizing those moments to underlap and come inside when the winger's wide or when the winger does come inside stay wide and push it wide and push up higher you know Brooks Lennon we know is going to stay up as high as he possibly can in the formation and look for those opportunities to cross when Bellow feels comfortable and reads those moments more it's another body forward, and it's another weapon forward, and it can free up Moreno to tuck in a little bit more. Those are things that take time. You know, this is all trust. This is all building that trust and building these relationships. It's coming, and you're seeing more of it. And it just it takes games. It takes games.
3: You want to get to uh, some questions? Let's do it. Some comments? Okay. Steve St. James wants to know, is there any chance that Jackson Conway could slot in As the number two option at striker, or will we look to add someone else? And if you missed it, uh, last night, Atlanta United and Lissandra Lopez mutually terminated Lopez's contract.
2: Yeah, Lopez uh, lost his father recently, Uh, has been back in Argentina ever since.
1: phone uses over home internet uses during times of congestion
2: to Lisandro and his family would have loved for him to have been here longer and kind of mentor somebody like a Jackson Conway, uh, heard only great things about Lisandro being part of this group and the, the knowledge he was able to impart to others. And I think you could see, you know, even at his age, he's such an intelligent player and, you know, he's going to have to make a decision. There has been speculation in Argentina that, that he might retire. Um, If he wants to go out in a different way, I hope he gets that opportunity. And, you know, being such a beloved figure at Rossing, it wouldn't surprise me if something got worked out. I'd love to see him finish on the field if he gets that chance. So in terms of the number two striker, you have Kubo Torres, you have Jackson Conway, also Eric Lopez can play there if needed. Jackson Conway will get those opportunities. He was about to come into the match on Saturday and ended up being pulled back uh, at the last minute. I want to say he was ready to go right around the 90th minute. And it was pulled back. He, I'm guessing, and I don't know, I haven't seen anything about roster or lineup for tonight with Atlanta United 2. I would expect to see him with the twos this evening. And you can watch that on ESPN Plus against FC Tulsa. And that will be a little bit of a measuring stick for Jackson Conway. Um, He's really close. He has done great work with the twos in his three years with the, the team, including when he was with the academy and overlapping between the two He's developed. He's becoming a much more well-rounded player. He's not just a big target, but he can be that guy if you need it. He's got good feet. He brings others into the game. He's a a complete forward. He's a very different kind of forward than Joseph Martinez, but he's a complete forward, and he he gives you a unique element that this team doesn't have. He's also young. He's, He's very young, and he has experience at the USL Championship level, but that's a different type of experience than in MLS. So... I think he gets an opportunity tonight to make a little bit of a statement for himself. And I'd love to see Jackson have a big match and start to work further up into the rotation. But I think you got a sense of that already on Saturday that it was Conway's number that was called to come up into
3: that game. Now, he ended up not doing it, but it was Conway who was ready to come in. I'm still curious. I'm wondering. Uh, and it doesn't matter now. I wonder if Conway was coming in for Joseph or if they yeah. were going to put on a second forward. Don't know. Um, and, and we'll never know. We'll never know. We no. could ask him. We'll probably never get a straight answer. No. But it's- it was very intriguing. And Jason's right. He he was in the technical area, penny off, uh, and they pulled it back. So that that's one of those what-if situations. I'm very, very bullish, as you all know, on Jackson Conway. Really, really like him. I know a lot of fans are very bullish about Jackson Conway because <clears throat> we kind of I, I think we know what Kubo Torres is capable of doing right now. I think there's more mystery about what's Jackson's ceiling right now. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also very, very important to keep in mind that Jackson is still 18 years old. Um he needs games right now. He needs match minutes tonight would be a really good opportunity because you're at home. Yep. Jackson Conley could play 45 minutes. Mateus. So Could play 45 minutes. Mikey Ambrose could play 45 minutes. Ronald Hernandez could play 40. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not so much with Hernandez, but, but there are players who could play. No, Hernandez. I have Hernandez. Hernandez. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I think he will. Um, there are guys who could very easily play a half. Uh, and you don't have to worry about travel. You don't have to worry about any of that. You aren't even leaving for Seattle until late Friday. Uh, again, you're going Wednesday-Sunday, not Wednesday-Saturday. This is why this twos match tonight, I think, is going to be really, really enlightening. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention, on top of it, the twos are playing really well right now. Yeah, uh, they, they are playing extremely well. I think Tyler Wolf. Is someone that I'm fascinated by, and we've talked about Tyler a lot. Tyler had been struggling a little bit with the twos, but he got a goal on Sunday against Oklahoma City. A big goal, I think. That's I yeah, and I think that's massive for him, because I actually think Tyler Wolf is in the plan for the first team this year, uh, either as a central attacking midfielder or some somewhere else as a forward. Uh, but he again, someone who needs continuity right now. And the only way you're going to be able to develop that is by playing matches.
2: And they're both <laughs> really different, too, because you go back and you look. Jackson Conway has played almost 30 times in USL Championship. So he needs games, but he needs maybe less games at the, the USL level because he, he's done that. Tyler right. Wolf had only played one match in USL Championship before signing his homegrown deal and playing a few times in MLS last year. So he needs more games at the pro level than Jackson does. Jackson's got that experience. So it, in, in a weird way, and they're different positions, and, and it's kind of a different feel, but Jackson doesn't need a whole bunch of games with USL Championship. I think Tyler does. I, I think he needs more of that routine of sticking with one group, playing week in and week out, and getting those minutes and getting his body used to having those minutes. Jackson's done that. For Jackson, it's more about the specific things that Gabriel Heinze wants to see out of him. So I think he'll kind of drop in and drop out with the twos. Whereas Wolf, I think for at least you know this the rest of this month and maybe a good bit of June through that international break, you're going to see a lot of Tyler Wolf with Atlanta United too. To then reassess and say, okay, when we start looking at our rotations when we come back from the international break, and we could be missing a few folks due to international tournaments, does Tyler Wolf work his way into that mix?
3: No, yeah, that's a good point. That's, a, that's actually a very, very good point. But I will be watching tonight, 7.30, Action at the Fraction on ESPN+. <laughs> Shiva says she's just excited as to how positive everyone has been from the training ground and player perspective. Everyone seems to be bought into Gabby and the system. Mm-hmm. Shiva also points out when we talk about Seattle – that LAFC played better than Seattle in the first half, which is true. Yep. second half changed. We just have to go and play our game. That is, by the way, that's exactly what Emerson Hyndman said today. That's exactly what Santi Sosa said today. Yeah, yep. Seattle's playing well. We need to just go out there and play our game. And that that's absolutely right. Um, but they're, they're so tough at home. <laughs> they, they are <laughs> don't so, don't, don't so get afraid, Mike. Oh, I'm not a... <laughs> Listen, I, I am never afraid. You know that. Um, you know, what I'm afraid of is that uh, uh, we might have a Hawks game and it could make it a little tougher for me to, to do both. But um, that's what I'm afraid of. Now, look, again, I think we just need to be realistic. I think the sad thing to me, and you touched on this earlier, I'll, I'll go a little deeper into it. Um and I know there's probably some people watching who are staying out of the comments right now. will probably tweet about this later, but whatever. <laughs> um, I, again, I just don't understand why the tone is so negative right now. I just don't get it. Don't They're 2-1-2 and 2 in the league. They're tied for third in the East in points per match. They're eighth for the Shield in points per match. Um, you know, they, they got to the quarterfinals of CONCACAF. That was unfortunate how it played out against Philadelphia. You had a bad 30 minutes, not really even a bad 30 minutes. You just didn't respond well to a set piece goal. And then the match state changed and, and you opened up and then you got burned because you opened up. Um, you've played again. I'm, I'm going to keep saying it nine competitions so far this year, and you have results in seven. And of those nine competitions, five of them have been played on the road. In the five road competitions you've played this year, you have results in four of them. So I just, again, I don't think the negativity really matches the reality. It doesn't. And when we're having discussions about Seattle, I'm already seeing the tone out there. Uh, And I'm seeing it tweeted by fans. I'm seeing it tweeted by outlets that... um, you know, cover the team in blog form. Um, Atlanta United is, is... This is not a referendum match coming up on Sunday for Atlanta United and how far they've fallen since 2018 or 2019. This is one match of 34. And I just... I, I cringe to think of what the tone would be if instead of... Um, seven results in nine matches and seven losses in nine matches i mean it would be it'd be unbearable right now i don't understand why there hasn't been a little more understanding i guess and this doesn't mean everyone by the way i know a lot of you people watching us right now don't feel this way or listening to us right now but but i've seen it um that there there's just there doesn't seem to be enough, um, I guess, patience with the fact that you have a new coach, you have new personnel, you're you're building this in a completely different way, and the building process just started on February 24th, and you're not going to be able to turn this into a complete and finished product that quickly, mm-hmm. especially when you have to play nine matches in six weeks. Yeah. Um, all across the continent. It's tough. It's really, really, I'm not trying to make excuses no, because I don't reality. think they need to have excuses made for them. I think considering what they're dealing with right now, they're doing pretty darn well. And by the way, by the way, I, I'll just add this. That's how I feel personally, okay? I, I'm not being paid to say that. <laughs> that's my, always a my fun one. professional relationship with the team does not require me to say that. That's truly how I feel. It really is. Uh, If that's too positive, I I guess I apologize. I I suppose I'm a little bit easier to excite and please than others, and that's fine. I mean, it's okay to be demanding, and it's okay to, to want more. I think we all want more, but I'm pretty satisfied with what I've seen so far.
2: Points per game. Atlanta's the the best of the five teams that played in Concacaf Champions League. They have the same number of points as Philadelphia. Philadelphia has played one more match. Uh, there's a lot of questions about Columbus's goal scoring with three in five games so far. That, that's one of the the big topics around MLS right now. Um, Toronto, where they are, not really a surprise with all the injuries. What they did in Concacaf was was super impressive. Portland has also had injuries to deal with. They're up and down. They get it. You know, I heard a little bit of their radio broadcast from the weekend, and they understand the situation that the Timbers are in with three goalkeepers going down, and, and kind of, yeah, it's tough, and they've lost three times. They've won twice. It's just part of the nature of it. The, the thing I would try to remind folks of who maybe put too much stock into this weekend and maybe are, are putting too much stock into different comments out there, uh, Gabriel Heinze is a Pretty passionate guy who is convincing his players, which is one of the hardest things a manager has to do, of a way to play. They're on board. There's not any whispers about, oh, can we do this? Can we play this way? You're not getting any of that. It's 100% everybody pushing in the same direction. That's important. That's a huge element. And for people who are questioning, that should mean something. You know, Gabriel Heinze is a manager who worldwide this hire was heavily acclaimed by folks in south america folks in europe folks all over the world that this was a great hire and he's going to bring great things to the club that does take a little bit of time and he's building the way he wants this team to play so it becomes an instinct not okay now where do i go okay now what pass do i make okay now what play do i make here it, it really comes back, and this was the, the first kind of long-winded quote from Heinze, and, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, and it's translated as well, that in my mind really jumped out to me as defining who he is and how his team will be. He said, I feel only one thing. If I have the ball longer than the opponent, I can do something. If I'm better than the opponent, I have more possibilities. And to those things, there is only one path, and that is to risk. If I put three players on one from the opponent, there's no risk. I think soccer is holistic. You can't change a shape or depend on the team. When one feels something, it is whoever plays. It's how you play. Um, He said, you know, we'll see mistakes, but you can't say to a player today yes in terms of playing a certain way and tomorrow no. He said, because I don't know how to train the today yes and tomorrow no. I don't know how to train it. I have to take precautions from the opponent, like all analysis, but one thing is constant. I want the ball, the team wants the ball, and when the opponent has it, we will go look for it. That's it. It's that simple. He said, not that the opponent's wrong, but we're going to go try to find it. Sometimes it doesn't come out, sometimes it does, and we'll go down that road, and you figure it out in the 90 minutes. But it's that simple. He wants the ball. His players want the ball. And when the opposition has it, they're going to go find it and they're going to go get the ball back. It's that simple. Possession is starting again, has started under Boer as well. Possession is not a bad word. It's not a bad thing to have a lot of the ball. That's a good thing, in my opinion, a lot of people's opinion. There are managers who base their game on not having the ball. In my mind, that is not the brand of soccer that this club has said that it would provide from day one. You need the ball to play that way. Can you still have some of those pressing elements and other things that that maybe some prefer? Absolutely, and we're seeing that under Gabriel Heinze. They're pressing up high. I think we saw more of that against Montreal than we had in recent matches because they were fresh, by the way, and that helps with that. But this is a team that will always want the ball. Passing backwards is not a crime. Passing backwards is not a bad thing. Keeping the ball, resetting, not bad things. What needs to happen next, and there's no timeline. It could happen Sunday. It could happen at times on Sunday. It could happen against Nashville. It could take longer. Is consistently being comfortable moving the ball quicker and making movements off the ball quicker. Those are the next two kind of steps because I go back to a couple passes from Barco, um, I think it was against. It wasn't against New England. It was the match before that it was against Chicago, where Barco hit a couple of passes, and, and I think the criticisms all started like, "Oh, he's missing his passes. They're overhead. He, he can't pass. He can't. He can't pass anybody." And I think we talked about it on the broadcast. They were passes with a purpose because one I think it was to Moreno can't remember who the other one was, too. But it was, hey, make that run. Run for me there. I want you to make the run there so I can play that ball. Because if the run doesn't happen and you play that ball, well, it, it's a giveaway. So the run has to be there. He's, You need to be able to do that. And the players need to make those runs off the ball faster to where they're not waiting for the ball to be passed. They're moving ahead of time. When that's happened, this team has looked good. It hasn't happened consistently enough because everybody's still learning those movements. Everybody's still learning. All right, and we talked about it with George Bello. If Bello makes that run, if Lennon's up high, then you're risking a lot. And a lot of players have been taught not to risk. Now you have to work through that. And, and Bellow's got to be free and say, the best thing for me to do is to crash on this back post. I might get a loose ball. We might score. If I don't, and if we do turn it over, I've got trust in Sosa, and Robinson, and Franco, and walks to cover for me. And I'm going to run like a maniac to get back as well. Those things just take a little bit of time. You're seeing them in fits and starts. But it's a process to play this kind of soccer, which I absolutely believe in is the best way to play and a way that will suit this group because this group was built to do it and it will lead to success, but it doesn't happen overnight. And it's a little, in my opinion, unfair to demand these things in terms of the manager and the way you want the team to play and then not have the patience to see it out. Yeah. That's not fair. And that's creating narratives, in my opinion, that are just not accurate. The work is ongoing, and it will always be ongoing because you're always going to look to improve, and every opponent's going to present a different challenge. That's why you're seeing different lineups and different shapes and different rotations. That's what top teams do. If you're limited and and you can only play a certain way, well, okay. that, That might work at times. That can win things at times, absolutely. Atlanta United's more ambitious than that and they want to win, but they want to do it with a certain mentality and a certain identity, and that's what Gabriel Heinze is doing. So to do that, a little bit longer road, but I think it's a far more fruitful road.
3: Let's get to a few more uh, before we run out of time. Ricky says, excited for the parley kit. That's coming out yeah. tomorrow, by the way. Uh, I am too. I like the color this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruno wants to know, if we don't sell Barco this summer— and settle to at least get our invested money back, can we consider that to be a bust?
2: People will, um, which really doesn't matter about the perception of it. Um, For some clubs, they wouldn't be able to really manage that because they wouldn't have the money to do it. Atlanta United, I think, will be okay. I don't think it's going to cost anybody uh, paychecks because you weren't able to get this done the right way. There was no way to predict that Ezekiel Barco would have the injury history that he's had. Because he didn't prior. And it's not like it's the same injury over and over again. It's not like when Greg Garza was signed, for example, and you knew he had an issue with his hip. And you knew that could be an issue that could flare up again. Barco didn't have that. And it's been as many contact injuries and being kicked as it is any kind of muscular injury. And those have varied. It's been a quad. It's been a hamstring. It's been different things. So, yeah, it's pro sports. People will call it a bust. Um, it's absolutely valid because I think people would have loved to have seen him play 30 games a year, have double digit assists, which I think he would have if he played 30 games a year, continue to add more goals to his game. Although he's not a big time goal scorer, I think he could be in that six to eight to 10 kind of range year to year. He hasn't been able to stay healthy to get it done. Um, I don't think it's a deadline on selling him this summer. I think it could be after the season. The market is so hard to predict right now, and and that's going to define some of this. And that's the other element, too, that will probably get left out of the analysis, but in my opinion, can't. The world's a different place in the transfer market right now because of coronavirus. It's a completely different place. Teams that might have went for more of a speculative purchase on Ezekiel Barco based off potential might not have that money to do that now and it could change the market so it's a different market entirely barco's going to want an opportunity to go to europe as he should atlanta united is going to want an opportunity to sell and bring in as much money as they can as they should i just don't know what that timing looks like and i have no idea what people will say about it i'm I'm sure there will be some takes
3: Uh oh there always are yes uh one more from Chiva, rashad thank you for your comments uh we'll, we'll we'll sign back in and answer some of them. Shiva, though, uh, has a good question, I think. Do you think our results against Philadelphia changed the way we played against Montreal? Because to her, it looked like we were not so open to the counter we took our time to score the goal.
2: No, that's just something you're going to work on. Um, I I don't think you're going to see a change in the way that they play from a big-picture standpoint, period. Do different games... Work different ways? Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think Gabriel Heinze is going to say, "Hey, be more careful here because of this, or hold the ball more because of this. i I don't think it's that because you're you're always going to be working to defend the counter. You know there there's a f- a few elements to it. I, I think when the team builds out properly from the back when they generate you know their attack starting from Brad Kazan or starting from the back line. The more passes you can to string the team together, to move up the field together in an organized way, the better you'll be to deal with counters because you're you're positioned properly. So more passes, more possession should equal a better defense against a counter. And Montreal had to concede possession. They dropped off more and more as the day went on. They did get tired. Atlanta wore them down. But Montreal was a team coming in that was the number one passing team in the league, and a team that had over fifty percent of the ball. I think they were at fifty-three percent coming in. That's not how they wanted to play. They didn't have a choice. That's what the game, you know, dictated to them because of the way Atlanta played. So that's a credit to Atlanta. I don't think it was by design that they had more of the ball to defend the counter outside of just intrinsically. That is what works. It is more possession should equal more organization.
3: Okay, Um, let's leave it at that. And we apologize for the late start, Rashad. We are going to get back. I'll answer some of your comments on Facebook. Uh, This will be available at Off the Woodwork if you want to listen to it in audio form and obviously still on Facebook. We'll be back again next Wednesday, 2 o'clock here on the 92.9 The Game Facebook page for another edition of Stoppage Time. Let's go over these broadcast plans again. Uh, Because I know this is going to be a little bit confusing. (laughs) If the Hawks are playing at 3.30 or 5 o'clock on Sunday, then Atlanta United will be on star. If the Hawks are playing at 7.30 on Sunday, Atlanta United will be on 92.9. We won't have a full-time report, but um, we'll be with you in spirit for that, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But we don't know because the NBA won't tell us yet. So this is going to be very much a last-minute thing. And as soon as we know, we'll tweet it all out. So just keep keep an eye out for that. And if you could help us spread the word, we would certainly really appreciate that. And don't forget, again tonight, Tulsa and Atlanta United 2, 7.30 on ESPN+. Plus. John and Jason will have the call. That's going to be really enlightening tonight because I think you've got a really good chance of seeing some first-team players tonight and some first-team players who really, really need minutes. So I'm mm-hmm. very much looking forward to spending an off night tonight watching the Twos. And are they letting fans in at yes. Kennesaw? Yeah. yep. Okay. So, hey, it's going to be a beautiful night, I think. So uh, come on out and support the Twos as well. They're playing great. They're playing really, really well right now under Tony Annan. So... Uh, keep that in mind if you have some free time tonight.
2: Yeah, Tulsa's a really good team as well. They're three and zero. They've they've only conceded six shots on target all season long in three games, which is incredibly impressive. Oh my impressive. god! Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, they they do <laughs> they can play on the counter. They can defend obviously, but they can play as well. Um, really good side. Joaquin Rivas, one of the top scorers in the league for Tulsa. So Atlanta, in my opinion, has been the better team in two out of their three games and the one that they weren't they were in it for a long way against louisville city who's one of the best teams in the league it's a good young team with a lot of fight in them and some really talented new folks that you probably haven't seen yet uh that are here on loan from river plate from manchester united you've got some big clubs that are sending players to atlanta united too right now it's pretty exciting so seven thirty, espn plus uh, we'll post the link. I'll post the link on my Twitter at Long Shoe, and uh, join John and I for some action at the Fraction. We'll be good to go. And we'll be with you someplace this weekend for Atlanta United. We'll keep you posted. Um, hopefully the NBA is able to make their decision sooner <laughs> rather than later. But we'll be with you on Sunday afternoon. So thanks for hanging out with us today. If you ever have any questions, you know where to find us. Send us messages. We will answer them and we'll talk to you soon.